Bam, we're live. Uh, Travis, thanks for the heads up, dude. Uh, we, we need to reschedule Sonny. We just kept pushing him down. And uh, Caleb just pushed him down even further on the schedule, but I think Matt's going to reach out to him today or tomorrow and get him rescheduled. What was Sonny's last name? Webster? Is that Sonny, Sonny Webster? Amanda Austin, Adam, Heidi. Good morning. Uh, this morning we have Blaine Barber on. At least that's the plan. Professional golfer. Re- retired from what I can tell. What a day. Yesterday. Yacht Club with uh, Hiller and Hunter and the three playing brothers and my wife. And the uh, California Hormones lady, Sarah, and her husband, and her two kids. Man, we raged. Whew. Whew. Then came back to the house, took a quick nap, and then went back out to the beach. It was, it was a crazy day. When I mean nap, I mean like at like 6 p.m. Hey, dude, Blaine, what's up, dude? Good morning. Good morning. Uh-oh, I'm on the wrong headphones. How's my audio? Yeah, I'm going to tell you one second. Sounds good. Okay. I'm, I have it on the computer audio, but I have headphones if need. So. It sounds good. Where are you? That looks like a fun room. This is my office. This is oh. in our house. Yeah. Wow. Uh, do you practice in there at all? Is there like one of those like green carpets that rolls out in there and you stand there with a, a, a stick and um, hit uh, a few feet and do a little cut? So I have a... Hitting mat that me and the boys hit into the yard sometimes. I pull it out in the driveway and we'll bang balls. Uh-huh. And then upstairs, I have a putting green that's just built up on two by sixes. So it's like pretty basic, has holes cut in it. But that's turned into more of a uh, play stage for uh, performances from the children. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. So it's, you know, six inches high and turned into more of a play area than a putting green, but it's fun. How many kids do you have, Blaine? Uh, we have three and number four coming in about seven weeks. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I saw your other three kids holding the, uh, w- right. is that a sonogram or what are those things called? Yeah. It's a sonogram. That's right. Crazy. Yeah. So we, uh, a girl and then two boys and then another boy coming. What state are you in? Uh, Alabama. Good place to deep, live. Deep South. Good place to live. It's awesome. Uh, we love it. I- I'm from Florida originally. Grew up in Florida. All my family's still there. I'm the oldest of four. Uh, everybody's married. A few kids now amongst my siblings. Uh, my parents are there. And then uh, my wife and I met at Auburn. We went to school at Auburn University, which is in Auburn, Alabama, and still live here. How, how old are you? 32. And you four kids already. Yeah, we're just rocking and rolling. Um, when I was 32, just to put that in perspective, I was living at home with my mom. I love it. And I had been kicked out a few times, but I was like trying like to get back in. And then like two more years later at 34, I was kicked, kicked out for the final time. That's when I moved in with my wife. Hey, you did. You've done great since. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great run. Even then I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of it. I, I, uh, I, I guess you don't want your kids living at home if they're just like high on drugs or just just doing dumb shit. I was, I was pursuing dreams and I think my mom saw that I wasn't lazy. I mean, when I say pursuing dreams, like I was into art, I was drawing. Yeah. But dude, you had a stick and we're hit trying to hit a ball into a hole. 
I was, which is really weird. I, I don't, I don't even know if there's more money in that. In a, a stick and a ball versus like being the next Van Gogh, you know? Yeah, that's true. Cause you can, uh, uh, that could have become a billionaire. That's right. On some crazy art. Art is a funny, my wife is, uh, she's an artist on the side, just as kind of a hobby. We have a little studio upstairs and she has a, um, she has a website and she does some like landscape type abstract painting. She's fantastic. She's just not trained at all. She just loves to do it. She's good at it. It's something to an outlet for. And, uh, art is so subjective, man. You can, you can take a paint can and just like throw it at a canvas and be like, that's worth $10 million. And if somebody believes you, then that's what you can sell it for. <laughs> yeah. When, when Hunter Biden was in a pinch, he just made some art. There you go. You could never be in a pinch and just be like, Hey, I'm going to hit some balls. That's right. You gotta, you still gotta. <laughs> you still gotta I meant to hit it into the trees. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> there you I love look that. like that. Yeah. That's why, that's why I'm done. I wish that's how it worked. I wish that's how it worked. <laughs> Um, uh, how old were you the first, when you, uh, your earliest memory of golf? Uh, my first memory, I, I started same with my boys. Like they don't play, but they love going to the course and riding in the cart and eating snacks and hanging out. And so I went to the course with my dad. He was That's just, the accessory work in CrossFit. We call that the accessory correct, work, right? Yeah. Sitting in the cart and like, yeah, exactly. Uh, so my dad was a recreational player, just picked the game up in college and played for fun. And, I would go to the course with him when I was two or three. Um, obviously don't remember that, but I do remember it around five. We were uh, at the house on a Sunday afternoon and we were going to the golf course to hit balls to practice. And uh, he had golf on the TV. The PGA tour was on. And I was like, are all, they're going to be people like that out there watching us when we go today. Cause you know, all the gallery and uh, that I didn't have the perception of what we were going to do, but I do remember that vividly. That's kind of like my first uh, golf memory that I can think of. So, so you have really 32 years exposure from yeah. the second you were born, you had exposure to the game. That's right. Yeah. Um, do you know your dad's history with golf? He, he did not play, he played kind of the classic sports growing up. He is from a really small town in Florida, Lake Butler, Florida. And he played, uh, he was quarterback of the football team, pitcher on the baseball team and played those pretty competitively. He wasn't, um, he kind of went a military. His dad was a Marine and he went RTC and was going to go into the Marines. Um, that all, or the Navy, I believe that all changed with some, he had a spleen rupture and just issues medically that prevented him from continuing. So he didn't play sports in college, but he was athletic. And then um, once all that ended and he was in college, I think he just found the game and enjoyed it and just kind of has played since for fun. So still, we still all, my whole family plays except for my mom. Just do fun together. I, I remember I, I don't I really don't know anything about the game of golf, but I do remember hearing like ten years ago that it was just being overrun by women. Not I mean I that I should probably use a different word because that has negative connotation, <laughs> but basically the women who had just completely embraced golf, like they maybe even surpassing the men in numbers. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily have a finger on that pulse, but it is certainly I from a collegiate and a professional standpoint, there's certainly a large um, surge of the interest in it and the opportunities they're getting. And I think it's great um, The a lot of their major sponsors on the professional tours have stepped up and started putting more money into the game, which, you know, there's always that argument between, you know, clearly, if you bring in a lot of money, you can pay out a lot of money. That's just how 
the market works. Um, but they, there's a lot more intrigue. So yeah, it's definitely a, a multi-sex sport in terms of just uh, interest and accessibility now. It's a great, it's honestly a great way for women to get uh, collegiate scholarships and a free education because there's a lot of opportunity in that space. And um, I think they gravitate to other women's sports. And so there is a, a huge market there for being able to go to school for free. I had a golfer on before. Scott. Yeah. Very, very, it was really actually cool of him to come on. Um, It was uh, in the beginning, there were some nice guys. I felt like who came on for charity work, Dave Castro being one of them. And and Scott also, Um, he made it sound. My perception of what he said was to be the guys so, so I, unfuck me, but basically there's 125 guys that are basically in, then yep. another 100, and, and basically they get some sort of stipend that's nothing, barely anything to being super rich. And then there's these other 125 guys who are invited to play, but it's all on their own dime. And if you're not in that 250, it's, it's just like, fuck you. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, – is that the way it is? Can you kind of give me that? What's what? Yeah. There's a herd that's like the herd that gets all the invitations, and then there's a herd that's like trying to get the invitation, right? Yeah. So all. Uh, it's, and then there's and then there's the other guys, just the dreamers. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of that is because it's an individual sport, and it is a true meritocracy. So there is no uh, owners, managers, uh, nobody's calling you up and saying, Hey, you got potential. We're going to pay you to be on our team. Here's some guaranteed money. Come and play. Uh, Caleb, could you look that word up? Meritocracy. Sorry. Uh, you, look, he's about to take a sip of coffee. What, what's Caleb doing? <laughs> I saw, I'm just about to say, okay, hey. go ahead. Uh, so it's, it's just performance based, right? If you shoot a lower score than me, you win. That's just, okay. there's okay. no, there's no subjectivity to it. It's, it's not your pants fit better or. Which, yeah. Gum it. I wish that's how it worked because, uh, I feel like I get the details right, but you got to still shoot a lower score. Uh, yeah, those pants you have are pretty awesome. I was looking at those, wondering if I could pull those off. Uh, meritocracy, government, or the holding of power by people selected on the basis of their ability. Oh, so the exact opposite of woke. Yes. Wow. Meritocracy is the exact opposite of woke. It, that's when you're just, okay, I like that. Yeah, so so it's, your, it's, uh, your, right. your ability is all that matters. If you okay. make a three and I make a four, you win. There's no okay. like judge telling you otherwise right they're not like well we don't have any armenians we're taking him yes that's okay. right um but before we go there scott scott is shout out scott he uh he finished second yesterday on the pj tour in their playoffs which is a huge event uh his best finish in a long time uh made like 1.6 million dollars great great week said six hundred thousand after taxes and expenses people don't get correct, too excited correct um Qualified for the tour championship for the first time in his career, which is a huge uh, benchmark. And then Scott is who actually uh, introduced me to CrossFit. Um, oh, wow. Back in 2016, 15, 14 to 15 is uh, Scott's kind of my intro into the fitness world. So uh, he's a good buddy of mine and uh, had a great day yesterday. So I want to give him a shout out. So um, not only did he take second in that tournament, but it let it's lead to an invite to some other badass tournament. So, I mean, how much right. more so, badass can a tournament be if you get 1.6 million for second place? Well, next week the winner of the season long points gets 15 million. So oh wow. So oh, wow. if he has a good week, 
that's that's a big you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. exponential uh that's a new week, house on the lake in Coeur d'Alene. that's right next week is the end of the regular season which is it's only 30 guys so they dwindle it down throughout the playoffs they okay. go from 125 to 70 to 30 and then those 30 guys are playing for the like massive bonuses and so it's a it's a huge accomplishment professionally so just so you know, where I'm taking this is I'm going to compare what you say to CrossFit because in explain to all of, the athletes how, how explain to the athletes how good they actually have it those whiny little fucks because what you guys do there's so much more money circulating in your ecosystem and it, and I bet you when you look at it, it it's even worse for you guys. It's uh well this this could be a tangent we're gonna we'll have to. I love tangents. So uh, Heidi just mentioned the Live Tour. That's a new Saudi Arabian uh, public investment fund funded tour that was just started, and they're just buying up premier players. So they they got this two billion dollar public fund, and they are just spending money like crazy. Uh, that they, they've taken a number of the top players, and it's sort of uh, come in as a competitor to the PGA Tour and sort of disrupted their business model, and so. Um, so that's it, not a meritocracy. Uh, no, for the first time in professional golf, it's it's a different model. Um, and they've just come in and give guys guaranteed money and said, hey, come play for us. We're going to kind of start a new fun, you know, entertainment league. And uh, it's it's more that way. So it kind of it, it puts a wrench in kind of what golf is historically about. You you got a dream. You work hard for it. If you beat the other guys, you achieve it. And, and that's just. I love that about golf. I think that's one of the things that has always drawn me to the game. And, um, you know, it's, it's fresh, infuriating and exciting all at the same time because there's so many ups and downs and highs and lows. Um, but to your question, the way that it works is if you're, if you're an American uh, junior player and, and honestly worldwide up until this point in history, because now you have this new tour that is to be seen where it goes your dream is to play on the PGA tour. That's where Jack Nicholas has played and Arnold Palmer's played and Tiger Woods. And it's where the best players in the world play for the most money against the best competition. And it's, it's just the best place to play. And so that's where everybody's shooting for. And on that tour, there's only 125 spots that you have a guaranteed position to be able to play in their events year to year. So there's about 200 people who have access to the PGA tour, but numbers 126 through 200, are what they would consider conditional. So field sizes vary. So like the CrossFit Games has 40 men and 40 women and then the number of teams, right? In, in a golf tournament, depending on time of year with daylight or uh, size of the venue, et cetera, uh, a tournament is either going to have 120, 144, or 156 people. It changes depending on daylight savings and how many people they can tee off and all that kind of stuff. Tell me those numbers one more time. One what? Uh 120 is like an invitational small field. Uh, some are even smaller. Like I said, next week's 30. That's an exception because that's only one time a year. Okay. Um, 144 or 156. And those are kind of depending on like uh, other like court size or uh, yeah. uh, like what you say, number of hours. Uh, in the day. In the day, okay. Depending on how many tee times you can effectively tee off. In the- Do the ass players have to go first? <laughs> they, uh, they going first is actually kind of advantage because the greens are smoother there's less traffic okay. and then typically the weather's nice early in the day the wind not as hot you know it that can it's all variable but but some sort of order the better players the high, higher rank you are the they 
they do it in a system. So there's like an A category, a B category, and a C category. Okay. And the tournament winners from like the premier players, Tiger Woods is going to tee off in the middle of the wave because then the TV is going to get the most of his round. So okay. it's okay. based off TV money, contracts, visibility. Uh, veteran players are going to tee off first, and then rookies and new guys are going to tee off at the last half of the wave. So they're okay. going to get more difficult weather conditions. Uh, course is going to be more beat up. And that's just kind so of, rookies that do good. That's impressive. It is. It is extremely impressive. Um, okay. Yes. And it's rare. Like there's a, there's probably like in CrossFit winning an event from the, from the first heat, you didn't get to see anyone else go. It's like, Holy shit. Great. Great analogy. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that would be a great example of that. And so, uh, so year to year, only 125 guys. So you can think of that in, in relation to other professional sports In NFL, you have, what is it? 30 man roster, 40 man roster over 30 something teams, MLB, similar with more more team I don't know the numbers on MLB but like it is a very small subset of people and and you have to oh, if if you can if you can snatch 300 pounds do what you froze for a second go ahead you, you froze for a second go ahead uh, okay am I good uh if you can snatch 300 pounds you're gonna you're gonna beat a guy every time in an event if he can only snatch 200 pounds, right? That's just science. Uh, in golf, there are a bunch of these dreamers who who can do the exact same things as the premier guys on the PGA Tour, but they maybe just can't do it as consistently or regularly. But on any given day, anybody can beat anybody from like the pro- professional standpoint in a money game on a Saturday or even in a tournament. But then if you draw that over the course of a season or the course of a week, the better player, the cream's going to rise to the top. And so um, it's just extremely competitive. And then you duplicate that same system down to the Corn Ferry Tour, which is uh, – Corn Ferry is just a massive consulting firm in L.A. that is like the title sponsor. It's a strange name, audibly. If you see it written out, it's K-O-R-N, not C-O-R-N. Uh, but it's basically like AAA baseball or like semifinals. Semifinals athletes that are getting close to the games, not quite there – but you have a chance to earn your spot there. And that's what, uh, that's the tour that you have to play on in order to get into that elite level of 125 guys, if that makes sense. So, yep, yep. yeah. And, and, and those 125, um, does the 125th guy make any money? Yeah. I mean, I think especially with, uh, purse increases and the tour signed a new TV rights deal within the last two years that has kind of, drastically increased purses. The 125th guy probably makes close to a million bucks. Um, a, y- a year. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot. Um, but 800 to a million. And then, you know, between. No shit. Actually, look at this. This is just great. Uh, that's last week. Uh, I think. Go down to that guy in the very bottom. Well, hold on. Hold on. Go, you got to go to uh, go to the PGA Tour website and then pull up like current year. Because uh, the season's over, so that'll give you good projection. But yeah, so it's but on that same, there's an argument to be made where the and this is where the competition between the Live Tour and the PJ Tour and kind of what started this whole debate is if you look at the 125th paid person in other major sports, it's like 5x, 6x times the amount of the PJ Tour. <coughs> okay, you- so you're saying if you took if you took like 
the uh, I don't know how the the a thousand guys who play in the NFL, the hundred twenty fifth guy still makes more than this dude. That's correct. Yeah, um, it might even it might even be a, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. It could be some backup quarterback who's making fifteen. But a year. but what's what's fascinating about it is uh, in this model, you Phil Mickelson or Tiger Woods is bringing in exponentially more money than I am at a tournament. Like nobody's coming to watch, uh, paying, buying a ticket to watch me play except my friends and family. Right. Right. Blaine Barber sold eight tickets because, because Phil's in the event, he's enabling the TV contract and the sponsor of the tournament for the purse. And like, he's propping up the purse that I'm now playing for. And so he, we're playing for the same amount of money, but he deserves more money than I do. And right, they, right. You know, which is why Tom Brady makes more money than a rookie. So um, there's all kinds of arguments we had about that, but trust, it's a it's fantastic. So, way to make a living, and you make a lot of money. When I when I look at your um, Instagram, if I'm going to can be completely frank, it it doesn't look. Um, Are you ever not completely frank? <laughs> it it doesn't look. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't look at it doesn't look fun or it's fun's not the right word. Like it looks hard, like stress, like like you don't look stressed, but the the stories you share repeatedly wherever I clicked around, it's like oh, like like you you don't never seem like you're happy with how you performed. Like you're never good enough. That's right. And I'm it's like, so holy hard. shit! That and you played four years on the PGA tour. I did, yeah. So four consecutive years. Correct. Yeah. Right uh, from 2014 to 2018, and then yeah, and it just seems stressful as f- oh man. It, it is a uh, it is a very stressful career. Um, and uh, let's see here. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, and and a lot of that is yeah. So so the quote, sorry that Caleb highlighted is honestly I don't like it most days, but it's currently where I'm called. That's yeah. that's a quote from your Instagram. Yeah. So. And it's not that I don't uh, still have that sort of childlike, you know, just excitement to do whatever you're learning to do. Like right. inherently, I love golf. I love the challenge of it. I love being outside. I love the artistry of it. Um, but I'm very type A. I'm a perfectionist, um, very high structure and order. And golf is just everything but that. And And so there's blessing and cursing in that like you can it can be beneficial if you use it appropriately but it for the most part for me and in, in the way that i'm wired it's just been maddening like it's it's like you know i'm i'm trying to do x and i keep getting y and it is just uh you have to kind of have the you have to be that way in terms of practice and preparation but then kind of just be carefree and roll with the punches when the competition occurs because it's so um there's just no level of control to it i mean it is just the weather changes you can get a wind gust you can feel bad one day you can your swings just off your mind's not sharp like it's it's a very 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 difficult game i guess i I don't know how so there's tic-tac-toe right and i don't know how many different strategies or moves there are in it but but it's pretty confined and it's really strict game yeah and then and then there's chess and it's 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 also very strict but fuck there's like 
some crazy amount of like ways the game can play out. It's in the billions, maybe trillions. Right. But still it's so fucking like this King can only do this. This queen can only do this. You can only do this. And even in its gazillion moves, it's really finite and structured still. Yeah. But golf's not like that. It's like goes off into infinity, the wind and bugs and how you feel. And there's just, it's, 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 it's chaos, right? Like theoretically uh, you and I can go play. Yeah. In terms of what I'm able, you know, like you hear the cliche phrase in all sports, control the controllables. Like I can think clearly, go through my routine, make a beautiful swing, hit the ball where I'm looking. It can hit the flag stick, which is what I was trying to accomplish, and ricochet in the water. Okay? Oh, yeah, that sucks. I see what you're Or saying. you could go out there. You don't know anything about golf. You probably have Have you ever swung a golf club? Once when I was like 15, I I played a whole nine with just a putter. Like I played nine holes and the kid I played with, we snuck onto the course. He's like, you only get to use this stick. I hate, and you might know that I hate golf because of that. So this is an extreme example. So I can do that, hit flag stick, rich in the water, execute it perfectly. You could hit it, miss the ball kind of on the top, skip off the water, hit a tree, ricochet over, and it could hit a slope and roll. (laughs) That's literally how golf can work and it just doesn't it's like uh it's maddening um so I, I love it it has been so so good to me and my family and we've the last 10 years have been a crazy ride and journey and it's changed me and and humbled me and uh and i love golf so don't like the takeaway here anybody listening isn't that you know i hate golf it's it's just that uh i played it and i I played at the highest level and I'm super grateful for that. But, uh, as of this year, yeah, we just, and honestly added to all that, not only is the game difficult, but you're on the road half the year. I mean, a tournament, yeah, that part sounded nuts when Scott talked about it too. A tournament is Monday to Sunday. And so when I go to a tournament, I'm leaving Morgan and the kids here at the house. Um, and that's difficult as a family. And I felt like it's eventually that would win out. Um, and we're just, we're ready to be together more often. So, Coming home's hard too. I used to travel a lot. I don't travel at all anymore, but coming home's weird. Did you ever have like re-entry? Because uh, I'm a kind of a control, I would be like a control freak for the first, like not a long time, but the first like six or seven hours I'm home. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can, I can feel that, but I think, honestly, it's just, it's just, a, I miss them so much that they're, yeah. And the regularity of me coming and going is consistent throughout the year in terms of like, when the summer hits, I'm gone two weeks at a time, pop home for a week or two, go out two more weeks at a time. And so I started wrestling with when I was at home, I'm always thinking about going and playing again because I'm excited to play. And then when I'm playing, I miss home. And I'm just like, I had a hard time being where my feet were, um, which right. is just difficult. This is totally off subject. Do, do you ever think about the word gratitude? Yeah, a lot. Does it? Um, what does that mean to you? I'm trying to understand what gratitude is. I, I, I think what? Yeah, what does it mean to you? Gratitude. Um, I mean, thankfulness is the first word that comes to my mind. Um, the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for, and to return kindness. There's got to be a different – go ahead. Yeah, please. Uh, it's easy to feel – so golf is a very individual sport. 
And then sort of the cultural moment we're in is all about individuality and like uh, being your best self, listening to your inner voice. Um, It's just very centrally focused and gratitude is more of a position of like nothing I have is because I chose to be here. Like I didn't pick my parents. I didn't pick the life I was born into. Now you can certainly take and cultivate those things and um, be a good steward of like the opportunities you're given, whether that's meeting uh, Greg and working with CrossFit or it's being homeless for a period of time or your mom that allows you to come in and out as you want. Uh, but like ultimately my family sacrificed a ton so I could plan the PJ tour. So for me to stand up and say, man, look how hard I worked and like, look what I achieved. And I mean, sure. I put in a lot of hard work and I use my natural gifting, but I mean, my, my siblings gave up a lot of fun time at home on the weekends to go travel with me so I could play junior tournaments. So I could play golf. Like, yes, I'm not a one man show. Um, and so gratitude, I think is just the, kind of outward looking perspective of being aware of uh, why you are where you are. I like, um, uh, I liked what you said. It, it's a, it's a, it's a position. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to think that, that there, there's something magical in that, like that, that word, that thought could be a gateway for me, mm-hmm. like a door. If I can get, if I can embrace that idea, um, more and also i could share with other people because i feel very thankful mm-hmm. like almost so thankful that i'm not thankful i can't really explain it but but when i but yesterday when i was looking at your instagram i was like you seem like a very um uh you don't take anything that you have for granted it seems like i well i instinctively i do but i try to push back against that. I think that's kind of a right, right. easy trap to fall into. But um, yeah, I just like, uh, you know, the go back to CrossFit, anybody who like CrossFit takes a stupid, tremendous amount of hard work and suffering and all these things. But like for somebody to stand up and be like, look at me, look what I achieved. Like, you didn't choose the body composition you were going to be born with to be five, nine. And like, if you just kind of accept, like kind of just let that roll off and not stand on some high horse of pride, it just, I think that humility toward a, leads to gratitude because it just, it's perspective. It just changes your perspective. Um, and then that just sort of leads to a more peaceful existence. I, I guess there's got to be some sort of uh, if if gratitude's a position. There's got to be some sort of way of um, feeling it when you hit a bad ball versus when you hit a great ball. Mm-hmm. But but either way, you just stay in that position. Have you ever been? Ha- have you ever stayed in a good place when you hit a bad ball? I, I would say that was one of my greatest struggles. Um, Can anyone do it? Can you have a bad stroke and still stay in a good place? Yes. And I, maybe good's not the right word either. I've been there. I, I, that was, I think that's the one thing that kept me from sort of achieving what I felt like I was capable of achieving, i.e. playing on tour every year, winning tournaments, competing for big events, et cetera. And 
I think we're naturally inclined as humans to be circumstantially swayed in our emotions. So bad things happen. My emotions are going to change. And then if I start listening to my emotions, I'm going to start making irrational decisions. And so it's a matter of having the right perspective. Uh, and now for me, like what I would, would place my, uh, cultural lens or worldview or like stability on would be my faith. And to, to be grounded in a place where circumstances don't sway, you know, my identity or my happiness or my comfort level. Like it's easy to uh, miss five cuts in a row, make no money and wonder if like, we're going to be okay as a family. Right. Instead of, like I'm going to work hard. I'm going to trust that this is my job. It's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just going to wait for that moment to come when everything kind of clicks. And if I start getting angry and upset and wavering on my work ethic, or I start changing and bouncing around my ideas, then maybe that's not going to lead to that kind of out from that difficult moment. Um, so it's just, does that make sense? It's yeah. It's crazy that you have, I hear what what is that sound? I just I just heard. Let me turn my fan off. I okay. Think it's okay. Thank you. I I wonder. Um, it's if you didn't have any kids, you think you'd still be so. So you're are you retired from golf now? I am. I I've joked this last week that uh, it's gonna stop. I promise. It's squeaking. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. Retirement is when you don't have to work again. Unemployment is when you gotta find another job. So right. I'm retired slash unemployed. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm just done with golf competitively. I want to still be able to enjoy it. And honestly, I'm kind of excited to just play with my buddies and have fun again. Um, cause it's kind of just, it's turned into a job, which is normal and you, and you just right. announce it, but, um, yeah, I'm done with golf competitively. Do people ever so so if the last time you had been on so well two two thoughts here imagine if you, I wonder if you didn't have kids if you'd keep pursuing it uh yes I, I uh we've we've discussed that I think at this point with every piece of information that I have and kind of where I'm at um if I didn't have kids it would kind of just depends on Morgan's feeling about it, but I think it would be a lot easier. Like when, before we had kids, we traveled together full time as a couple, Morgan hasn't worked. We just kind of set off on this journey together and traveled and um, pursued it. And it, I'm certainly choosing my family's well being at this point. And listen, there's guys who do it great and can handle kind of the back and forth of being gone so much. We just feel like for the first time as a family, we're not, uh, thriving and kind of firing on all cylinders and and i i want that for my family and so you really uh, are a professional dad though four kids is like that yeah. that that's you're you're like really doing it yeah or, the I, oper- or at least you have the opportunity to really do it that's correct yeah as you know and so yeah there they are the- it's way different than it's way different than one kid way 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 that's right yeah um, yep. So there's Emma and Ford and Lawson and then, uh, Maverick is number four coming. So, um, the boy in the overalls, what's his name? 
that's Lawson. We, uh, we adopted him and we were there in the delivery room with his birth mom. So we've had him since he was born. Um, so uh, why, uh, God, I have too many doors open. Um, why, uh, why adopt a child? You already have two. Why did you adopt a child? We, uh, I, I love adoption. I think it's a huge need. Were you adopted? No, I was not. Um, did your parents adopt kids? No, no adoption in my family. Um, but I, I clearly, I love it. I think there's a need for it. I think it's a beautiful thing. And, but Morgan has always kind of felt inclined to do that and pursue that ever since she was in high school, even she just has kind of had a heart for that. And so, uh, we discussed that when we were dating and we were engaged and, um, it was just kind of always a discussion topic. And then we, for no reason other than we were just like, man, we want to do this. Why not pursue it? Um, we, after we almost, we kind of had, uh, took a while to get pregnant with Ford, our second, um, not, not drastically long, just more months than we had envisioned. And then, so we kind of started to pursue it and we found out we were pregnant with Ford. So we held off and then we were like, man, we're in a place where we can do this. Uh, we have two healthy babies and we have the finances to do it. And so let's go pursue it. And, uh, we did. And it's been amazing. He's a, he's a cool little man. It's, 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 um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a human being. It's a lot to take on. It's like crazy, crazy, uh, responsibility. It's, it's so freaking impressive. What does your family think? Does anyone push back when you want to adopt a kid? No, we, uh, we've had great support from our family, which is awesome. Um, and it's been, man, it's, I, there, there is, there was no difference whatsoever in loss and coming out of a woman's body who was not my wife and then him being mine immediately versus right. the other two. Like, I can't explain that. I don't, it, it just, uh, here's a baby. He's yours. This is your son and, uh, you get to raise him. And it's, it's been really cool. And he just has been a, a barber since the beginning and, um, it's been really cool. So is it expensive to adopt a kid? The, the, um, the, the paper, the, I yes. mean, obviously kids are expensive, but I mean the process, not like raising yeah. the kid, but I mean the process, is that expensive? It is. It can be. There, there's cheaper ways to do. I think our eyes were open to a lot of the, I think there's a huge need for it. There's a ton of babies that can be adopted or need to be adopted and it's extremely expensive. And the, kind of the loot, the hoops you have to jump through to get to that point is crazy. Like it just felt like a, felt like I was in a mergers and acquisitions consortium for <laughs> a year as we were going through all the paperwork and the, you know, can uh, anyone take him from you? Is he yours? Yeah, he's, he's ours. There's a, like as much as your other kids are yours. Yes, correct. So there's That's a, awesome. That is fucking great to hear. Yeah. There's, there's a, every state has like a turnover period where the birth mom can change their mind after birth where we were, uh, he was born in Salt Lake city, Utah, and it was only 24 hours or 48 hours. Maybe it was pretty fast. And then it's like six months until, uh, I don't know if that's a just kind of check-in phase where the social workers like, Hey, this family's grounded and stable and like the baby's being taken care of. But I think it was six months after where, all the legalese is like completely finalized and there's, I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's a barber for sure. So, um, is, is this true? Um, uh, Travis, uh, Bellinghausen from Vindicate says adoption yeah. is a requirement to become a mayhem athlete. Is there truth to that? Uh, no, not that I know. Of. 
Are are you a mayhem athlete? I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of mayhem, and I do. Uh, I've been just kind of casually um, doing their programming. I've learned. I just learned a ton through watching Rich and that whole crew and kind of the stuff that they put out. Um, and they've been great to me. And they they as of actually this morning was my first like full mayhem athlete training session. Now that I don't play golf anymore, so damn. Um, yeah, it was fun. Um, when you, when you're, you have this four year run from 2014 to 2018. And so at that time you were in your twenties. Yes, that's right. Um, are you, is that young to be on? What's the average age? Is that young to Uh, be on the PGA tour? No, man, there are, uh, I think 12 year olds now, 12 year old Pakistani kids. Uh, not quite. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, but I mean, average age on the PGA tour used to be like mid thirties and now Uh it's like, mid to late twenties, it's shifted dramatically. And I think that's just like any sport, uh, people get better earlier and they, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so 10 years ago it was 35. That's right. And I don't know what it is, like what the actual data is for today, but it's, it's shifted way younger. I mean, you got guys competing for major championships at 22, 20. Um, wow. And it's just like any sport where, the progression and the improvement at the professional level trickles down to the college level and the junior level. And then guys are just more prepared mentally and physically and um, they're just ready to roll. And so they come out with, and, and there's a, I'm a huge, I've, I've reflected a lot on ignorance being an advantage at 24. Like I didn't know why I was good. I was just good. I immediately went there, by the way, when you said young guys, I was like, God, it must be nice to just give yeah. no fucks. Right. I think, I think a big part of my struggle over the past four or five years since I've lost my PJ tour card is when I was 24, if somebody told me to do something with a golf ball, I just did it. I was just like, okay, well this is like, this is what I do and I'm good at it. And then you almost like figure out why you're, you, you start to like in, in an effort with good intentions to improve, you start trying to figure out why you're good. And then you get too many voices coming at you with different opinions and perspectives of how you can improve. And then you sort of that like naivete just crumbles. And then for me, I felt like that happened. And then it just becomes like a, you're kind of digging and searching for, I know I'm good. Like I have a lot of self-confidence. So I think I can still go out and play with the best players in the world but it just hasn't materialized into results. And um, I think that ignorance of a 22 year old just helps a lot of times. It's like the difference when you're 18 and you're saving your money to, or, you know, if even 15 saving your money to buy your first car, you just, you're just saving your money to buy your first car. You're just singularly focused. But yeah. when you're 35, you're like, Hey, I'll keep driving this car. I'll put that 30 grand in a trust in a um, mutual fund. And when I'm 70, yeah. it'll be $3 million. And so you don't get the, and so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hindsight is, is 2020. And uh, you know, you can, I, I wish, I wish my 32 year old self would have told my 25 year old self a lot of things. <laughs> if I was told that if you that it's really easy if you come up with golf, I don't know if this is true, but I was told that if like if you were to take a week off, your game would slump. Like it's the kind of thing you have to be f- like on top of. Yeah, that's another uh, another unique thing about it is balancing work and rest because you never feel like you do enough. Similar to 
any high level performer in any endeavor. I mean, whether that's you researching for a podcast or a CrossFit or a football player, I mean, it, right. You always feel like you can do more. Right. Um, and once again, back to gratitude and perspective, I think I really had to press into like believing at a functional level that like, I'm not the one controlling the universe. Like, I can put my work in and then I can just leave it at the golf course and I can go home and I can be a husband and a dad because that wrestle, every time I leave the parking lot at the golf course after practicing is like, oh, I could have, like I didn't hit those last five shots like I wanted to, or I could have put more work in on my putting or whatever it is. Right. And, um, and so where was I at on the original point there? Uh, basically do you ever if, if you take if you were to take a week off does your shit yes. just start waning no I heard so that and i was like wow uh there, there's a level of that you definitely because it's so muscle memory oriented like if you if you build your strength in a 12-week strength cycle you can take like a month off and still lift a lot of weight like your retention right. level is really high right in golf if you don't practice a particular skill set because it is so it's both field based and mechanically based in terms of muscle memory like you have to be very precise with how far the ball flies with any given iron or wedge shot, right? Like it's got to right. be the firmer the conditions get, the the harder it gets. You have to be more and more precise. And that just takes my eyes seeing the target and getting a feel for how far it is. And then also my body relating to that feel in terms of practicing it. And so there is, here we go. This is me. Uh, I got a net in the gym in the garage uh, doing a little bit of practice. Um, is that dangerous right there? No, it just ball bounces back. It's fine. I mean, I guess it could come back and smack me in the balls or something, but it'd be all right. Yeah, that, I'd be scared to death. Today. <laughs> oh, you have two assault bikes. You have two bikes. Well, I, I have I have all the uh, cardio type machines. Um, so you have an assault and an echo. Yeah, assault and an echo. That's right. Oh God, that's good. I'm impressed. Um, yeah, got a good good setup in there. So yeah, but but at the same time. It's so mental. It's so mentally taxing. And it's so there's, you have to have so much mental acuity that if you take a week off, I, I vividly remember my second, maybe my third year on tour. I was in a, I was just in a slump. I wasn't playing well. I was burnt out. I was in the meat of the season. I played a ton of weeks in a row and I came home and I did not touch a club for the entire week. I just put the clubs in my closet. I worked out, hung out with my family and just had fun. And I went to the tournament the next week in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and had my best finish of the year. Wow. And wow, that's a trip. Okay. So there's, there, there's a balance there. That's not like – that's not prescriptive. That's not how it works. But there are times when your brain is so jacked up that, like, you just need to chill and then go out there and just let your instinct take over a little bit. Um, so it's – and part of the thing is, like, I wish there was an equation. I wish I could know whether I need to come home and work my butt off or if I need to take five days off. And it's always just juggling, finding that middle ground there, I think. Um, and that's even that in and of itself is taxing. <laughs> so in, in 2018, so you fall off that there's the 125 and you fell off the bottom. That's right. Yeah. I finished like 160 something that year. So are you tripping? It's like the last tournament of the year. And do you go into that like with just crazy pressure on you? Like, oh, fuck, if I don't win this one, I'm fucked. Um, yeah, that, that year was crazy. So, uh, in January of 18, my college roommate and one of my best friends was my caddy. He was working for me full time, which was amazing. It was cool. He, he worked in sales for a while out of school and then 
that would have been uh, five or six years out of our school when we graduated. He quit his job and came and caddied for me full time. It was awesome because he was a high level competitive golfer and close friends. And it was cool to travel and do that together. And we were in Hawaii at the Sony Open, which is like the first event of the calendar year. And Friday night, we made the cut, uh, which when I say that every week you play two rounds, Thursday, Friday, they cut the field down to about 70 people. And then you play Saturday, Sunday. And if you don't make the cut, you how many holes, how many holes for a cut? Uh, 36. You play 18 every day, 72 for a tournament. Okay. Okay. So you play 36, they cut it. And then you play for money and points on the weekend. So if you miss five cuts in a row, you make no money those five weeks. Um, um, if it does, it, does your performance from the, before the cut continue or no, it, yes, it's way, yes. It they, does. Cut it, they, you, they cut it and then you just continue to play the weekend where you were at. Yeah. Okay. So you don't get a clean slate. No, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyways, we make the cut Friday night. Uh, he's like, Hey, I'm gonna go down to a sports bar and get some drinks with some friends and hang out. And, uh, 10 minutes later, I got a phone call that he would, he'd had a seizure and he was unconscious. Oh shit. And I was like. Uh, well, that's weird because that's never happened before. He's healthy. He's in good shape and 28 and whatever. So I ran down there and fast forward, crazy long story. I could talk about this for an hour. He uh, was in a coma for seven weeks in a hospital in Hawaii in the ICU. And uh, that happened on January 12th. And he didn't fly out of Hawaii until March 1st. Wow. Uh, back to Nashville where he lived. And then he was in a rehab facility for like another month. Um, just had a traumatic brain injury. They don't exactly know what happened. Uh, he just collapsed. He was kind of like standing at the bar with his elbows on it, ordering a drink and like passed out, collapsed, hit his head on the concrete and then was brain bleed and pressure. And, uh, it was nuts. So that, that occurred. And then that kind of started. Did you play like, that week? Did you play? Yeah. So, uh, so that happened on Friday night, Saturday morning. I don't know if you remember the news story when that false missile alert was sent. to Yes. Washington. Yes. So I was yes. there. So, and at the time, I mean, this is, this is where it could be a crazy long discussion. I was but just, just really quick. So people who don't know, because yeah. I know because Greg Glassman's father-in-law was there. And then I just had someone tell me about it the other day that they were there. Everyone who was on the Island, I think of, of Kauai received a text. We were on Honolulu, that, but okay. Yeah. Uh, received a text saying incoming fucking nuclear missile. Yeah. What a fucking weird thing to send everyone who's on the Hawaiian islands. And it came from some government like, um, Oh, here we go. Caleb's going to pull it up. There you go. On the morning of Saturday, January 13, 2018, a ballistic missile alert was accidentally issued via the emergency alert system and wireless emergency alert system over television and radio. So this is not a drill. The message was sent at eight Oh seven AM. Like, yes. fuck you. And, 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 oh, and so many people that's, thought that's, they were toast. So many people alert. thought they were toast. That's yeah. the alert I got right there. Yeah. And it, you know that, uh, you know the like Amber Alert on your iPhone that goes, yeah, like some kid's been kidnapped. I had to turn it off because when the an Amber Alert would come through, I had just like this like it just freaks me out. Like I hear that yeah. noise and I yeah. relate it back to that morning. Uh, so that happens Friday night. So Saturday morning, me and my brother. Thankfully, my brother happened to go with me. He just was like, hey, I've never been to Hawaii. I want to go hang out. So his wife let him come with me. So we're, if I'd have been there by myself, it would just been, I'd have just been overwhelmed. Uh, so Shane's with me and we're walking. We literally take an Uber. We get so does out. he caddy for you? Does he caddy for you? He ended up caddying for me on the weekend. Um, I didn't know whether to play. Like I was just in a state of shock. Right. Uh, my friend's potentially dying in the hospital and like, I didn't know what to do, but I couldn't help him. I mean, so 
we step out of the Uber and we get the alert and he looks at me and I look at him and I was like, do you get this? And then it's like a movie. Like we walk through the front doors of the hospital and every person you can see is like, did you get this? Is this real? Like what? Everybody's like looking at each other and scrambling. And then the whole place just turns into panic. Like we all, the whole hospital just ran to the basement. Like we didn't know what to do. We're like ran to the basement. I called my wife. He called his wife. We're like, Hey, I don't know if this is just complete scam, but I'm saying goodbye. Like I love you to death. Uh, yeah. I, I may not be here in five minutes. Yeah. Um, and so those two events within 12 hours of each other, I, at the time I was wrestling with some, and this is kind of the, a, a good thing to know just about professional athletes and kind of you, you look at what people do performance wise and it's easy to judge them or question them or nitpick. Like I was dealing with severe anxiety off the golf course, like just in my life. I think stress from my career, having young kids, um, it's just kind of my natural bent and wiring. Uh, I'm just a very uptight, anxious person, or I should say was, thankfully. Uh, And two of my greatest fears were like a medical incident happening on the road or dying. And like those two things confronted me within 12 hours of each other, 5,000 miles from my family. Um, And so all that to say, 2018 was like a crazy year of growth and personal change outside of golf that I think, and then golf just kind of deteriorated and I wouldn't change it for anything. And so Yes, I was very stressed when I lost my card, but at the same time, I'm so grateful that it happened the way it did because it really gave me a lot of gratitude and changed my perspective. Um, and what do you mean? There's that word gratitude. What do you mean gave you gratitude? It just, um, I found a lot of joy and identity and being a professional and being a PGA tour player and kind of walking around my chest puffed out and like, you know, I'm cool. I've made it. And, when that gets stripped away, you, you kind of have to figure out what, what is going to make you go to sleep at night with peace. And, um, so just that something you got something a little more real than that. That's right. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a huge season of my life of personal growth and change and, um, deepening of my, my faith and my relationships and, uh, I wouldn't change it. The last five years have sucked professionally. I've had a lot of just, sucky moments and frustration and uh it's led to ultimately me turning and going a different direction but um wouldn't wouldn't change it for i, I said this year I, I uh i had one or two rounds that were just like just terrible i had no clue where the ball was going i didn't have any like my preparation wasn't showing up at all it was like it was like i'd been like practicing a nightmare like a bad dream even kind of yeah it's like you're you're practicing your deadlift and then you just can't even like get the bar off the ground you're just like right what am i doing and i left those rounds just so at peace and content like had fun with my caddy had good conversation with guys in my group like just enjoyed being outside and now listen there was a lot of days this year where i was just pissed off and breaking clubs and like in a bad place but there were those moments compared to walking off the course and cashing a half million dollar paycheck and checking off like another success that I wouldn't trade for anything. Like I'd, I'd choose the latter all day just because of the state of my like heart and mind. And, uh, and you can't, that just can't be taught through success. And um, so all that to say that that's kind of the practical application of you kind of learn through suffering. And when things are going well, you kind of just take inventory and just express gratitude. And then, uh, you just kind of learn from those difficult times. 
Like gratitude from Paper Street Coffee. Yeah, get you some Paper Street. Thank you, Paper Street Coffee, Gabe. Um, so then when you fall off, uh, do you cry? Is there is there a moment of mourning? And, and does that mean that you're off for all of – so th- then for 2019, you know that like you're – you're, you're down with the, the corn fairy guys. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there was ever that moment. It was kind of just like when you get into something that's difficult or hard, you just kind of, what's the next thing I can do? Like where, where do I go from here? What's my next? Yeah. Oh, here comes a tornado. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I just was like, okay, this is where I'm at. I want to get back to here. So what's my next step? And then you just, okay. Kind of, you know, there was a good three to four months of kind of just being able to decompress, spend time at home, work on my game, et cetera. But um, it was definitely a, a, a transition and kind of it, it humbling in the sense of like, man, I've been playing. I've been like playing against the best players in the world, playing for a ton of money. And then now I'm back to, uh, you know, just trying to grind my way back to that point. So it's it's it was different. What um and so that's basically from 2018 to 2000 till till last week. Yeah, you're you were trying to get back on in that that's inner right. circle. Yeah, and I. What are and, is there a word for that? What are those guys? Those are just dudes who are on the tour. That's the yeah, tour. just basically having status on the tour, just the okay. being able to compete in their events. Yeah, um, yeah, and in night. 19- Holding, I, pl- I played okay. Continued to, I got to the final event, which is kind of what you're planning on doing. And, and what uh, year? Say that again, because you broke up. In what 2019, year? 2019. Okay. So it was my first year back on the Corn Ferry, and I missed getting back to the PGA Tour by one shot the last term at the last round. Holy um, shit! So it was uh, that was difficult. I think I cried on that drive back. I was proud of my effort and I was proud of my execution. And I just looking back, like. I can't look back at that because it just that still kind of grinds at me that it was that close to being back. Um, and then, you know, it's you never know what could happen from there. But a very, very serious question. Sean M. M. asks, if you do CrossFit, can you break the clubs easier? Yeah, for sure. It definitely increases your uh, work capacity across the domain of snapping golf clubs. When when uh, do you remember the first time you met Scott Stalling? Um. I don't remember the first time we met, but we started hanging out my rookie year. Just like my rookie year on the PJ tour was the same year. He kind of started his weight loss and fitness journey. Okay. And okay. So just kind of serendipitously cross paths there. And then as he, he's older than you, right? Yeah. He's, uh, he's probably four years older than me. He's okay. Not much, not much. Not, okay. not a ton, yeah. Um, and, and did you think, did you ever poo poo it? Were you ever like, yeah, well, um, I don't have to deal with that. You were a fat dude. You should have never gotten fat. Like, that's where I would have gone. Like, yeah, good job, fatty. <laughs> no, it was more, uh, it, it was more, I, my introduction to fitness as a collegiate athlete was pretty intense and I got the bug pretty fast and, uh, just enjoyed the back to the unpredictability and craziness of golf sort of, I think drives my desire, my passion for fitness because it's way more measurable and linear and you can you can see results and you can kind of just plug and play and uh so i've always just enjoyed it from that aspect i think it's it's been as much of a benefit as it's been to me 
with my body and my performance, it's also just mentally like to have an outlet to actually see progress is just, I've loved that part of it. And did he introduce you to CrossFit? Was he like, Hey dude, you should try this CrossFit shit. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure he, because he, he was at Tennessee tech around the same time as rich mm-hmm. and they weren't, I don't believe they were buddies in school, but with that connection and then Scott, they both live in Tennessee, obviously. Um, I heard about Rich through Scott and then started following CrossFit as just kind of a fan of the sport and seeing what those guys were doing. And then Stallings pretty immediately into his fitness journey implemented the just kind of high intensity functional part of it to sort of a golf specific weight loss style training program. And so I was just intrigued by it and uh, just started going. I remember the first, First week, he's like, hey, I'm going to this CrossFit gym on a Monday morning. We got the place to ourselves. You just come and follow me. It was the first time I ever got on a salt bike. Oh, so he's cool as shit. He's like, he's a generous dude. He's not like, oh, yeah. hey, I'm not sharing this with Blaine, Blaine no. so that he can become his he's, fuck this guy. Okay, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, he's been. Wow. Isn't that anti? Shouldn't he be more competitive than that? <laughs> he, uh, I think golfers are most competitive. What's funny is it's so hard and it's so individualized in terms of implementation that we share a lot of stuff and then it's like, good luck figuring out how to do it. Like, here you go. Here's all the info. You're not going to figure it out. So I'll still beat you. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, Scott's like, he's kind of just been a, a mentor to me in a lot of ways there. And then, uh, uh, I mean, we, we text back and forth so many times, different workouts we've done and, um, just things we're doing. And so, yeah, that day you guys go when, when you're, when he says, Hey, I got, so it's a Monday it's after the, whatever tournament you played is over and you guys are going to work out. Do any other golfers come with you or just the two of you? No, it was just the two of us. And then it was a dude that was, uh, trying to compete, you know, like the regional level at the time or something, um, in CrossFit, uh, was this yeah. Josh Bridges, little short guy with the I wish. But Josh and Scott are Josh and Scott are good friends. Yeah, yeah, that's why I asked. Uh no, I've never met Josh. <laughs> um this was in uh, it was in Napa. It was in California, actually, though. It was in uh it was a CrossFit gym in Napa. Um and uh yeah, and I just remember the we did five rounds of 10 cal assault bike and I, I want to say it was dumbbell thrusters, which for a warm-up just makes no sense to me now. But uh I think we did five rounds of 10 cal salt bike and 10 thrusters and I had never done either. And, uh, that was my intro. So yeah, that's brutal. You're yes. hurting. How did you, how did you get your blue check mark? Does everyone who goes on the PGA tour, do they just, does, is it like the, the UFC is like that? They got a guy who's yeah. banging some chick at the UFC and she, uh, she just hooks everyone up. Yeah. It's not, I, that wasn't the reason from, from my, from my experience, but, uh, yeah, there's someone on the PGA tour sleeping with someone there at Instagram. But I know they have, you know, they have a whole social media team. And, uh, when you go through your rookie orientation, they, uh, actually that's a funny story. I'm sitting, and by the way, I, this has to be close to a record for least amount of followers you've ever let on your show. So, you know, thank you. But, <laughs> it's not true. Caleb, look at Caleb. Caleb's <laughs> on the show. He's yeah. Six followers. Um, we're sitting in rookie orientation with, and it's me and a bunch of dudes who are now superstars, uh, a bunch of guys who are now famous on the tour. And I'm sitting next to this guy. And, uh, at the time we all have like 300 followers and, uh, he hasn't, he's not paying attention to anything in the whole meeting. We're going through tour business, how to conduct yourself, how the tour operates its tournaments, you know, boring stuff. And we get to the social part and the guy's like, yeah, everybody just send me an email. Here's the uh, email and we'll get your accounts all verified bubble. And he like shoots up and he's like, wait a minute. 
So you're telling me you can verify and give me the blue check mark on all my accounts? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, sick. And he just like went back to his phone. And started- <laughs> and, uh, I'll never forget that. I just thought it was funny. Um, so yeah, it's just because similar to, you know, it's just a public figure. So if you're, you play for any of those professional leagues, I'm sure they do it. Well, um, it, it's interesting because someone it's, there are someone like Josh Bridges, who not only is the founder of his, of several companies, but also probably one of the best crossfitters who's ever lived. For some reason, his count isn't verified. He's tried fucking a million times. It's so, it's is so it? weird. Yeah. It's, can you look Caleb? I don't think his is verified. Yeah, that's crazy. And the only, I mean, for me, the only reason why it mattered and I had my account taken away recently but the, for me the only reason it mattered is because if i dm someone yes. you pop you go up to the top of their mailbox that's, yeah i mean look at this this is fucking nuts that's nuts i will say i have so the, someone there doesn't like him i, I something yeah, is flagged I, you know what i mean like yeah like did, is it because he served because he fought for our freedoms and instagrams <laughs> against freedom like may, I mean, maybe i mean i say it kind of joking but maybe maybe you know yeah uh it, it is, I have enjoyed, it's been a nice benefit to when I've, when I've dropped in, cause I drop into a, a local affiliate every week on the road when we're at a tournament and just being able to shoot them a message and it look like if I shoot them an email, there's no context to like right. who I am or be like, Oh, this is a stupid golf guy. I want to come in here and work out with this. So it's been nice. I've made a lot of awesome connections around the country. Just being able to yeah, do They that. see the blue check mark and they know you're not lying that you actually are a, or well, they can, at least, they can at least poke around. And yeah, I never checked it. I, once I, I just took for granted that the blue check mark in our conversations in the DMs that you were a professional golfer. Is he a professional golfer, Golfer Caleb? Can you check that? I didn't even fucking fact check. <laughs> Former. Yeah, Hard. yeah. So are, are, those, are those four years just br- – uh, is, is, part, is part of you – I wonder if you would have quit if you would still be in the tour – what about you come sorry to do this to you you're gonna have no, for this or what if what if next year you decide you're gonna come back uh we I've kind of are made, you too old or no no not at all i've made it oh, okay to myself and to morgan I, I so many guys say they're done and then get a year down the road and they're like man i don't know what i'm gonna do with my life i'm just gonna play again like i can play golf and i just don't want to i don't want to waver in that way like we've made this decision for a bunch of reasons we've thought through a lot and I want to be committed to that. And I want to kind of be just a hundred percent in wherever I'm at. So I'm chasing some new ideas and I want to, I potentially want to be in the space in some capacity, whether that's through being able to coach other guys via my experiences, mostly my failures more than my successes. But I think I have a lot of valuable experience and information that I could potentially pass along to other guys trying to do it. So maybe somewhere in that realm. But um, I think why people do it is the carrot so big. Like you, you can go from not having status on the corn Ferry tour, like one of my best friends, Phil Knowles. And then yesterday he secured his PGA tour card for 2023. So like in the course of a year, he's now playing, on the PGA tour and he's going to have a chance to be playing for millions of dollars every week. So he'll go from being concerned about being able to fill up his gas tank to not being worried about the price of gas overnight. He can buy all the avocados. He wants. Um, and set his family up. Exactly. I, I tell you, I view, I view that's your questions very relevant. Cause I view those four years 
more than because even looking back, I, I, I see so many ways I should not have made it. Like I should not have stayed on the tour for consecutive years due to mental issues or uh, just ways that I practiced or physical deficiencies with my short game of sharpness. I truly view them as a, uh, a gift. I'm thankful to God that I was there because if I wouldn't have had those, I probably would have had quit sooner because we wouldn't have had the sort of financial buffer to be able to wrestle for four or five years and just like be like, I can keep chasing it. Like we can keep coming out the red every year and it's okay. And if I wouldn't have had those four years of success monetarily and professionally, I wouldn't have been able to wrestle for four or five years and kind of be a different man now. And so I view it in large part, like sure. I achieved a dream and it was awesome, but um, that was, that set us up for 2018 to 22 to like come to this point. Will you stay in the business? Will you like invent a new golf club or, or be a caddy or no, um, no, uh, not outside of, uh, <laughs> Heidi just said, did he say he wants to be in space in the golf space? Like oh, oh, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> out, outside of potentially like performance coaching, just consulting, I guess would be the most blanket term. Like I would be interested in doing that because I do think I have information that can and experiences that can help guys get to there because I've done it. And then I've also failed. And I kind of think I know why that is. So I would be interested in kind of just getting a group of players that want to use me as a, a resource to kind of get there, but I don't, I don't want to like, do something specifically at all. Um, do you, do you, um, do, do you love watching people swing a, a golf club or do you like love watching the ball fly through the air or do you enjoy the smell of the grass or the sound of the club passing through the air? Or, uh, um, I love, is I, there all sorts of weird things like that? That's like, like your shoes, you love your shoes and, and, and all these things are just like that when you look at the flag blowing, you get all excited or like you see a nice, just like a cup, a, a, the way grass approaches a cup. I mean, just shit that the rest of us are just like oblivious to. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I'm, I'm a very visual person. So, yes, I like I like watching things move in space. I like thinking of the physics. Why? A golf club moves a certain way and like it imparts force on the ball and the ball does a certain thing. Like you can actually change the flight of the ball just due to your mechanics. Um, and I, I love the visual of like seeing a ball. It's very, like I said earlier, there's an artistry to it. Just seeing the ball like work around one tree and then around this bunker and then landing here. Like, yeah, I, I, I do like that a lot. Um, and that's probably something that, yeah, maybe other people won't see or think about unfortunately it was due to drug experiences but um i my whole life i never knew what the word focus meant uh-huh i never i had no idea what that meant and it's something that i really want to imp- make sure that my kids know what it means because i think that there's something magical there by magical i just mean i don't think that words have been put to the power of what focus really can achieve um, and in the most simple way is I can just wad, once I learned what focus was, I could just wad up a piece of paper and throw it into a trash can and never miss. 
And whenever I do miss, I know it's because I, my focus was off. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do with my skill of how I throw or anything. I just have to trust. I just have to, you know, if, if a trash can's within 20 feet of me, I can, and, and, you know, it's not 100 mile an hour winds, I can just look at the hole and I can make it 100 out of 100 times. And the yeah. one time I miss, I know it's because like something caught my eye over there. And, yeah. and I don't know how it works. So there's, there's some spot. faith in the mechanics of trusting my eye and my hand and I just throw it and it goes. And yeah. I didn't know that that trick until I was in my 20s. And I'm like, what the fuck? How does every human being not know this magic? Yeah. It, it, I, I've heard it. You know what I'm referencing? And I'm not a, I'm a it, fucking doofus. I'm not a professional it, uh, anything. No, I, I've heard it explained well as you don't want a cluttered mind. You don't mm-hmm. want to be thinking about mechanics, how far that thing is, how I'm going to do it. And then you don't need an absent mind. Like you have to have some level of objective between I'm going to take this piece of paper and I'm going to throw it in that. You want a quiet mind. You want to find this like intermediate flow state, as you've probably heard that term used. Of, yeah. I've practiced my mechanics. I trust my feel. Now I'm just going to act. And so. Pitching a grape in your mouth is exactly the same too. Because. I, once I realized I don't have to do shit, open my mouth and follow the grape with my eyes and my, and my body will do everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to do shit. Yeah. I just have to stare at the grape and my body will not let it hit the ground. One of the it's crazy, one of the toughest things for me with my type anus is not letting mechanics overwhelm my thought process in a pressure situation. Like I understand mechanics extremely well. I know my tendencies I know what's going to happen if the club does this, but in a moment of pressure of a tournament, having to execute a shot, I can't be thinking about this stuff. I need this. Here's me and my body. Here's the target. Here's the win. Execute. And finding that like quiet space in the middle between no thought and too much thought is it's a challenge every single time. And that's why the mental side of sports is so difficult. And I've honestly, it's transferred into, I've been doing more Olympic weightlifting and like, if I just, if I start thinking about the mechanics of a, of a squat clean, it gets clunky and weird. And like, if I just go into it and do it, there's, there's this like weird balance between yes, the mechanics need to be right for safety and speed, but like, I can't think about it while I'm doing it. And so I'm, it, it transfers from like any endeavor. Um, and you're just trying to find that focus is just that space in between thinking too much and not thinking enough. Give me an example, like, uh, uh, w- w- could you be up there at, at, at the pro level and, and your brain start being like, hey, you're squeezing the club too hard? Like, just shit like that even gets starts like, oh, uh, yeah, we'll start turning on for sure. And, and, that's no, be, and that's no good, right? I can be you can you can just be in a state of like, just it's just going to happen. Like, I see the ball, I see where it's going, and I'm just going to do it. And it just happens every time. And then you can even I've gotten you almost get too comfortable. Then you get to the next shot and you're like, Oh, this is the easy shot ever. Like I got all this green over there. I got this club. It's a perfect number. And then I'll hit a bad shot because I'm almost like too confident in my ability to pull the shot off and I almost lose the focus. So it can, it teeters back and forth. It's just an S curve. And you're just trying to like minimize the amount of wiggle as much as you can. Like your confidence goes almost to celebratory. And if it crosses into that, yeah. Then, then it goes to the like absent-mindedness. It's like, Oh, well, I didn't think about the fact that the wind is this way or yeah, you can just, 
that idea of focus is extremely important in anything, but in golf, it's just, you're, I've also heard it described as this like funnel of focus where when I'm walking into a shot, my mind's going to think a lot of stuff. There's water. Don't hit it over there. Don't hit those people. You're nervous, blah, blah, blah. And then as you get closer and closer to your controllables, your routine and the, just the mechanics of the physics of what you're doing, this is 135 yards. That's this club. I'm going to aim at this target. The focus just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And then when you get to execution, it doesn't matter what kind of happened out here. You just let that flow through. And then by the time you get down to the shot itself, you've just funneled that focus down to the basics. And I think it's not so much that the high level stuff doesn't happen to athletes or professionals or anybody where the things that are happening in your brain are very vital to your performance. It's not that those bad thoughts don't happen. It's just that you learn how to let them just kind of water off your back and you just get down to that tightness of execution. Do do, do you have um, a protocol that's like pretty crazy um, at different places? Well, for for any shots, but like pull your pants up with your right hand, um, turn your right foot, twist your right foot into the grass. Like, is there a kind of like a Zen tea party? You know what I mean? This is the protocol at to narrow it down. Yes. Wipe your eyebrow. I mean, I don't know. No, yeah, that that all just comes in like the practice and preparation. So if I'm a normal week at home, I would spend, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week between practice and preparation and just the time of a normal job, like four to five hours a day, five or six days, just the boring. In those, you're kind of developing those things and streamlining them to where it just happens when you get on the first tee box. And so for me, it's the same amount of steps from when I'm standing behind the ball looking until getting into the ball. Uh, It's the same amount of practice strokes on my putter. It's the same look to the hole every time before I come back down and I make the stroke. But those things just, that becomes muscle memory pretty fast if you dial in what you want to do with it. And so um, that's that's why we have to practice. So those things just become instinctive. Um, when you're out there, have you ever been out there when the fans are just so crazy, people are getting booted out? Like I always think of golf as like such a calm sport, but then I then I figure, oh, within that calmness, there must be some crazy right. motherfuckers, like they drink too much or something. Caleb, there may be a video further down from like 2016 or 17 from the um, Waste Management Phoenix Open, which is just, it's a big booze party for four days in phoenix oh is that when they basically build the all the yeah i've seen that i've been in phoenix when they build that thing it's nuts it is crazy i play that tournament three times and it is i love it but it is overwhelming i mean it is it's a crazy experience um and yeah it gets loud does so is that the exception to the tour does the tour is the pga kind of proud of that okay this is our kind of our everything else is this and then this is our mardi gras yeah and i mean they're they're trying to and also kind of organically trying to appeal to more of the sports fan that wants to come out have some beers have fun root yell whatever which is needed you know golf is kind of that has that perception of just kind of like stuffy and uh not super fun and exciting. And so there's more of that week to week on the PGA tour, but that one just has always been that way. And it's kind of just a, a novelty and uh, it's fun. I mean, it's, it gets rowdy. 
it, it's kind of like when you go to tennis and I, I know some of the purists don't like it, but I, I've started watching old tennis and I like it. Like uh, when, uh, when they fight, when, when the, the, the players start fighting with the fans, like there's yeah. a pretty famous one this year where uh, one of the big players started yelling at Ben Stiller. Like, yeah. he's like, did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Hey, I don't tell you how to act. <laughs> You know, so yeah, shut yeah. up. Yeah, I'm like, damn. You know, just like, yeah. yeah so there, it's a they're, they're trying to be a little bit more of that golf, but it could it could use some more because it is it makes it. I mean, we as players, the players enjoy it. It just it has to be. It's got to be appropriate because there does have to be a level of uh, like at that tournament one year, I had a guy yell in my backswing on on the 18th hole when I hit it in the water, like. Wow. As I got to the top of my swing, he yelled something. I like flinched and hit a bad shot. So that's not appropriate in that setting. But um, do you, you yell know. back at him? Do you call him an asshole or no? And I mean, there's so many people standing around that you can't. It's sometimes you can't know who it was. But um, yeah, uh, uh, is golf the one where if you hit a hole in one, everyone throws their beer onto the? Yeah, that happened. That happened last year. Got out of hand. Uh, it was nuts, but. That hole specifically, um, if there's there's a YouTube video, probably Sam Ryder, R Y B E R. It's probably I don't know if you can play a YouTube clip, but anyways, it's it's a it's you should people should look it up. It's crazy, beers all over the green, and then that stops the tournament. Yeah, I mean it, it halted it for probably ten or twelve minutes because they had to clean up a lot of cans and cups. Yeah, that's crazy. God, you must be so bummed if that happens. And you, you, in, in like, well, I guess you see everyone because if I with five was there and there was a hole in one, I'd want to be one of the dudes throwing my beer out onto the oh, yeah. thing. I mean, it was, it was the problem was is the next day guys would like make a putt or chip in and then they'd try to throw the beer and people, the players, like, <laughs> like the hole in one was unique and special. We can't, we can't just throw all of our stuff anytime something happens fun. Does does everyone have a hole in one in their repertoire? Like, do you have a hole? Like, have some time in your career have you ever hit a hole in one? I have uh, eight of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, here you go. Let's see, we're gonna get in trouble. Seven seconds, Caleb. Seven seconds. Oh, so there's beers coming from like, dude. It, they'll, they'll show a picture of the green at some point. It is crazy. Oh, I've never even seen it. Uh, go- I've never even seen a uh, – I didn't know they played golf like that. The stands are built around the hole. Oh, yeah. They just – it's completely enclosed. I mean, it's uh, it's turned into just a full stadium. I think they get – What hole number is that? 50 or 60,000 people in there. Or no, 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 20 or 30. Um, it's uh, number 16, so it's kind of coming down the stretch toward the end. Wow. And so the second the dudes pass through there, does everyone just leave those those seats? Like once the good at dudes the end pass of the day. Them? So they, when oh. they open the gates at like 5 a.m., there's like a mass rush of 2,000 people sprinting out there because there's like a uh, limited number of public seats. And then there's like. Uh, oh, so people will stand at the 16th hole all day. Oh, my goodness. So uh, if there you go. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So okay. the. Like if you're looking at the green, the back right section is public seating. So people turn over in there, they'll sit and drink for a while and then leave and then people come in. And the line will be a thousand people deep wrapped around the outside waiting, just standing there waiting to get in at some point. Um, And then once the final group finishes, then people will filter out and go watch them play the last two holes. But yeah, it's just sun up to sundown. It's wild in there. Does your wife play golf? She doesn't. She could care less. 
<laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Is that a good thing? It is. She's she's always been a great uh, balance. Just she cares in the sense that obviously she wants what's best for me, and she is a part of the journey. But like she she doesn't care if I you know shoot eighty or sixty. She's supportive and um, it's just kind of oblivious, which has been it's a good escape because a lot of you know there are wives that aren't like that. I mean, you got married at twenty two. I did. And, then, and, and 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 why did you get um, uh, married? We started dating uh, our junior year We'd in high school or college. In college, sorry. Um, we just we had mutual friends, and um, we we started dating, and we 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 wanted to get married because we just wanted to. We we knew that we had that discussion pretty early on in our dating relationship. Like we want to do this together and be a team and um, start our lives together. And so we finished school and then uh, I proposed shortly after graduation, like a month after graduation. And then we were like, she was like, man, I can plan a wedding in four to six months. And she, she had moved home with her parents and didn't really know if she was going to start a career or not. And I had, kind of started my professional career around that time. And there was just a lot of unknowns and we were kind of ready to just jump into the mix and uh, do it together. And so um, we, Did you think that's what you were supposed to do? Yeah. Uh, in what sense? Yeah. I mean, it felt, uh, I no, knew- no, sorry, not like that. Not, not, not like in your heart. Um, but like, so, so the, I don't know the way I was brought up is, I don't know if it was societally or my parents. I don't know where it comes from, but there was this perception of everyone's life should have the same story. Uh-huh. Um, you go to school, you yeah. um, take your SATs, you go to college, you meet a girl, um, you get married, you get her pregnant, you buy a house, you mm-hmm. die. Were you kind? And, and at 22, I think I was still in that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you, there's these milestones that you're supposed sure. to. Uh, no, I mean it wasn't like. No, for us, I think it was, um, it, there's a, uh, importance to, and a beauty to marriage. Like I've heard you talk about it, just kind of the, that thing that you can't quite put your finger on that was different. Um, yeah, but, but I stumbled into it. Like I did not want to get married, Yeah, but, yeah. but I, stu- but I, stu- I mean, I, I mean, at some point I thought I would get married just because it was what I was supposed to do. But then at some point, I don't know, I, I smoked enough dope to where I was like, this. I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, so just very pragmatically, I found a woman I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Yeah. How um, did you know that part? We just, at 22, you just know. Yeah. We just, uh, I think you can. Or maybe it's you just don't know. <laughs> well, it's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a commitment just as much as it is anything. It's not like this it's a crazy uh, commitment. Yeah, and it, but it's not this lovey-dovey like, like you're gonna your personalities are gonna change. You're gonna yeah. bring out, you're gonna bring out the worst in each other. Your bodies are gonna change. You're gonna you're gonna get old. You're gonna get tired of being around one another at times. You're gonna frustrate one another, and so it boils down to like, this girl is attractive. I like being with her. Uh, she's she's grounded in all the right values and dispositions. And you even knew that at 22. You were, yeah. you knew what values were at 22. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, and 
and and also like to get just to make it deep and uh i don't know if you wanted it to go here but like there's also this uh level of like i'm i'm staking my entire existence on the bible being true like wherever you know everybody stands on that right so i that's that's where my uh value judgments truth uh belief system resides in and like a, a step in life is you're going to leave your mom and your dad and you're going to be a man. And if you want to marry someone, you're going to go to her dad and ask the same thing. And then you're going to start your life together. And I, I wanted to take that step towards manhood and uh, being able to start a family one day. We weren't in a crazy rush to do that, but um, that was kind of just the next step in my progression as a, as a man. So it is a trip, right? Um, so, I mean, you, you, you married her like when she was coming out of, young ladyhood or, mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, maybe she's even a late bloomer, but she's basically turning from a girl into a young lady. And then she turned you it, right before your eyes. She turned into a mom. Yeah. It's kind of like the highest level of like woman. She, you could be, right. Scared. She never, she didn't like ninja kids. woman. When, you, when we started dating and even like close to engaged, she didn't want to have kids. She was scared of death. She's like, I'm gonna be a terrible mom. I don't want to have yeah. kids. Me. I think that's healthy. Every, you should, yeah. should be scared to death. And she, and she's, <laughs> also, she's also an only child. And so, oh, she, interesting. She doesn't have that experience of kind of the just the craziness of siblings and right. uh, fighting and bickering and um and she, and and then for me to be gone so much and for her to be at home seven months pregnant with three kids, she's just a superwoman. She's amazing. Um, and so it's pretty easy for me to say no to golf, like seeing what she has done to support me the past four years and to come in and she's so excited and relieved and the kids are excited. I don't have to leave anymore. And it's, uh, we're, we're in a good spot. So, so, so you get married and, um, how, how long before you have your first kid? Um, three, th- three and a half years, three years, 20, three years, basically. And you said something. So 25. So you said something, you stake your you stake your whole life that the Bible is true. Yeah. At um uh, how did you get to that point? Was there like at eighteen years old you're sitting there? No, what, no. no. I'd say that. Uh, so I, I grew up in uh, grew up in a Christian family. Both my parents are. You mean you go to church every Sunday? Go to church every Sunday and hold to the belief that we're sinners in need of a savior that saves Jesus. And if you trust in his righteousness to be yours, that uh, this issue that we have, like the brokenness that we see all around me is kind of traceable to a singular issue. And that's like our hearts. Like we're all a bunch of messed up pricks. And uh, so grew up in that methodology worldview. Right. And then, in high school, college, it kind of comes down to like, do I actually believe this? Like I got all these other alternative potential options. Uh, I, it, it sounds right, but like there's other religions and there's other philosophies to adhere to. And like, there's things I want to do that maybe that does the Bible says I can't do. And that doesn't make sense. Like, what if I want to do this? And, um, so I think a lot of times people may have the perception of a, a Christian that believes in the Bible is kind of just like 
uh, where you're just, you're not like intellectually astute or you haven't thought through the potential other opportunities or possibilities. And like, you're just kind of like blindly following this whimsical fate that makes your life cool. And for me, it's been much more like, I think that there are some serious uh, intellectual claims and arguments that are made in the text of the Bible that can stand up to um, really any philosophy or argument. And it's, and, and it makes claims that are specific and unique and not, and are, and are exclusionary. Like it is, Jesus says clearly, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the father except through me. He claims to be God. He says like all these things that, that don't make it like here, you can choose the Bible or you can choose this or you can choose that. It's like, it's, it's saying in and of itself based off its own um, revelation that like the other stuff's not true. Like this is where truth and satisfaction and joy and eternal peace are found. And so um, at 32, based off a lot of conversations and reading and podcasts and just experience as, as my next thing was my experience in the world is man, I got nowhere else to turn. Like, uh, I, I jokingly, but truthfully say I've, I've based my existence after life on this earth in a homeless middle Eastern single dude who claimed to be God. Um, and, and I'm, I am firmly on that rock. And, uh, and so that shapes, that shapes my perception of and view of the world. And, uh, and, and I, and I, and that doesn't make me like some narrow minded, singularly focused, like I want to engage difficult conversations and I want to engage what, what life is about. And I think that, uh, it's not like, you believe it and then you just go to church on Sunday and you just sit in your house and kind of just chill. Like you get out in the world and you get after it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very passionate about that. And, 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 um, and your wife was and your wife is also, she is as well. Yeah. We kind of come from different faith backgrounds just in terms of, uh, how that, uh, different denominations within the Christian faith. So we like, that was a fun part of our dating. was just kind of like, wait, you guys do what? Wait, you guys do what? And like, just kind of coming together cohesively as like, we were, we saw this and we're taught this growing up, but then in college, you know, 18 to 22 is such a crazy time of just like personal change and the way you think and see the world. And so kind of we almost grew up together in our dating relationship. And then when we graduated and kind of had an idea of where we were going next, we were like, Hey, let's just do it together. Um, so did you yeah. ever take, did you ever go, did you ever um, take medication for your anxiety? Uh, shortly after the incident and Corey and the missile thing and why I is the first time I, I always just felt like that was going to be the remainder of my life. Like I was just going to have panic attacks randomly and i was just gonna suffer the rest of my life i saw no light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. and then we were having a conversation with some close friends about two weeks later at the phoenix open actually we were renting a house together for that tournament and and they were saying like they struggle with the same things and she's like the wife was like uh yeah i go to counseling occasionally and my doctor prescribes some medication and i just remembered like feeling like a thousand pound weight was lifted off my chest. i was like wait a minute like i'm not the only weirdo that struggles with this stuff and uh, so shortly thereafter, I started uh, doing some counseling and then um, started taking 
some Medicaid Zoloft or something that just kind of helps regulate the serotonin in your brain. Are you and, still taking uh, it? Yeah, every day. And it uh, totally changed my life. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And then there's, I'm very much a like, you know, careful about what I put in my body and the effects of it and whatnot. And I've had follow-up conversations since. And uh, there's literally, yeah, sertraline. There's literally uh, zero side effects that they really know of or that I've experienced based off that information. And then um, it literally just creates more serotonin in your brain. And so, um, or I guess inhibits it. I don't know, whatever it does. I'm not a doctor, uh, but you can just take it. I mean, there's, they were like, I mean, listen, you can come off of it, but like, there's no, there's literally no downside to just putting more of that chemical in your brain that for whatever reason, blame barber's brain doesn't produce enough of. Um, and so, yeah. It, um, uh, is a panic attack. I'm trying to see if wonder if I've ever had a panic attack, a panic attack is when you feel like you, whatever situation you're in, you need to get out of it. Like, so like you're yeah. I'm like, I'm about to give a presentation somewhere or like even before podcasts start, like I do not want to <laughs> sit down. I'm yeah. like, fuck. I do not. It's, it's a little mini panic attack, but I've had really big ones to where I actually see myself in my mind's eye running out of the room and going to my car and driving away. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? My heartbeat's yeah. reading. And I'm, it's like, kind of yeah. like I'm having an out of body experience. I think they manifest themselves differently for everyone. Mm -hmm. The way I describe it as my brain doesn't have a governor between I have a headache and I have a brain tumor and I'm going to die. Like, Oh, use your imagination. Just wow. Okay, so so, so you could you could see like a little blemish on your face and Google skin cancer and fucking an hour later you're freaking out. You're freaking right. yourself out. Okay, and, and it, anything health related, but I got miscut. I'm gonna lose my job. Like my family's gonna be homeless. I, you know, that's yeah, that that wasn't yeah. necessarily a struggle for me, but that would be an example. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've been there. So there's just <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. So I think this far along in my journey, it just, I have more tools available at my disposal, whether that's the medication I take, the conversations I'm in with my, uh, counselor, fitness, uh, truth that I know are true. Like I just have more resources to like pump the brakes when my brain starts going crazy. Amy, uh, I didn't like the idea of medication, neither do I, but sir, Sertraline probably saved my life after I had my first child from terrible postpartum depression, anxiety to feeling like myself again in a month. And what's so funny is when I started taking it, I was so wound up in a ball that like I was actively thinking of ways like it wasn't going to work. I was like, you know, I took it for two weeks and then I'm like, Oh, I'm still having these same thoughts. And then like at some point it just like shut off and it's just like, it's like magic. I don't know. <laughs> so how did training, how does training affect it? Uh, to like, me, like, cro like CrossFit training. I think just the, uh, and this is where I'm speaking way above my pay grade, but just the, the, the dopamine response and the, the things that just naturally occur within the human body when you put it through stressful situations intentionally and you do difficult things. And, and I'm, I, I look at a task and like, I can't complete that. And then I finish it and I'm laying on the ground and, there's just something to that action with our body that's just good for us in our brain. And, and most of my issues are in my head. They're not like actual issues. And so I think just it's been such a gift to me to life gets stressful and golf is so cerebral and it's so like 
slow and methodical that fitness has just been CrossFit has been such an outlet to just do something hard and fast and difficult and like feel good at the end of it. Has your prescription changed since 2018? No, I think it's still, it's like 25 milligrams or maybe 50. It's a really small dosage, um, but it's just stayed the same. It's like the smallest it could be, I think, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, when that, and that's not considered performance enhancing. No. And that like, when I started taking it, I looked, um, which it should be cause it's enhanced. Well, I've sucked since I started taking it, but, uh, the clarity of mind, uh, it's, it's on the list of approved, um, over the counter medications you can take. So but it's you, not over the counter, is it? Oh, well, no, I guess it's prescription. It's, it's prescription. on our list of like prescribed medications that you can take because we have, I think, uh, PJ Torp drug testing protocols are WADA um, because it's an Olympic sport now. And so I looked into it before I took it when I was on the t- tour then, um, but it was, it was allowed. So I'm trying to remember what book it was that I read, but it was a book talking about, maybe it was a Malcolm Gladwell book. Maybe it was old, old or maybe it was something more recent, but basically they were talking about, um, and I don't know if it was Adderall. I, I've never taken that, but, that is not a uh, that one is not approved. It's not approved. No. Yeah, I think that one might be like just basically meth. Yeah, it's like or, a, or coke a or something of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, and they were just talking about how like people would go to like someone would apply to go uh, be like a violinist at a uh, you know for the New York Philharmonic. Yeah. And, and they would be on that shit and that shit was legal and yet pro athletes couldn't do this or this yeah. and it was an interesting comparison of just like what is cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Because you could, you could make an argument. Tons of guys dip or chew or smoke cigarettes when they play. Oh, nicotine. So powerful. I would think nicotine would be the, for if you're a baseball I, player or golf yeah, or nicotine would be so fucking many, godsend. Yes. I've heard so many, uh, are no shit. That, sorry. Sorry. One second. Sorry. One second. Uh, blame. Uh, wait, let me see that again. Caleb is, is Adderall an amphetamine? That's fucking nuts. Hey, if you're giving your kid this shit, you're out of your fucking mind. Let me, I want to every single person I know who did methamphetamines for a prolonged period of time, a hundred percent of them, you ended up fucked up. Even those of you who think you came back, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't, you're, you're fucked up. Yeah, and the dudes who take it, the dudes, all the dudes who became addicted to amphetamines that I know ended up, uh, um, putting dick in their mouth for drugs. I swear to God, I, I, I wish I could be less crass. I know you're a man of God, hey, but all a hundred, hundred percent of those dudes I went to college with ended up sucking dick for some sort of methamphetamine. You do not give your kids that shit. Do not. Don't take it. Fuck. Okay. Sorry. Back to nicotine. Oh, you're good. But nicotine. so I think like, yeah, nicotine's crazy, powerful if, shit. If, if it changes your state of mind and body, in a way that allows you to perform better that it, you wouldn't be able to otherwise it's performance enhancing and, but Nick, yeah, it, it makes it. So basically you can just do, remember what you were saying about just like bringing, yeah. like as you approach your swing, yeah. nicotine just brings the whole, I mean, when I used to draw the whole, I could draw in a fucking, the most chaotic airport in the world, just on my hands and knees on a piece of paper. If I had a fucking cigarette, yeah, that's I'm right. breathing, I'm taking yeah. nicotine and the whole world goes away yeah. Me and my pencil. Yeah. That huge on the PGA Tour, huh? Is it chewing? Probably well, I mean, huge. I wouldn't say huge, but yeah, I mean, there's a decent handful of guys that do, I think. What's the etiquette? What can you do? they swallow or do they spit? 
No, they spit. I mean, you, there's plenty of spaces to duck out in trees or, you know, whatever. Um, so because I, uh, the, the, the hardcore dudes I know are swallowers that, that I fucking never did that. That I, shit's I've never, I've never dipped cause I'm way too soft, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I, if I, I've considered it and I feel like I've just puked my brains out and pass out. <laughs> you, you, the first few times you do, but you just worked. The first time I smoked a cigarette, I fucking vomited. I'm like, I'll just push through. <laughs> and then you go, next thing you know, you're addicted. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fascinating, um, nicotine is such a fascinating drug. I would think that that one would be illegal, um, in sports because yeah. it, it, it clearly does bring the whole world. Yeah. It actually does. I think the th- word is called, there's some, there's some distinction between range and fitness. I mean, and focus range and focus. And I think range is when like, you, if there's a million sounds, you can just like pick, get to one. Uh-huh. And, and that nicotine is supposedly the only drug known to man that allows you to narrow your range. I wish I could be more articulate on it. Interesting. Don't do it. It's bad for you. Yeah. But, 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 but going back to focus, pitching is, is a perfect example. I guess I need to interview a professional uh, pitcher, but it almost seems like you have all the tools. Now it's just look where you want the ball to go. Yeah. Do the mechanics of the release and, and, and that's it. It's just pitching must be fucking intense, right? It is. But I mean, think, think about the act of pitching is, is such an amazing skill and art but like think about throwing a baseball if if one of your kids at want to play catch like you don't think through it um you just you just grab the ball and you look at the person throwing it to and throw it right and so yeah yeah the simplicity of that can just kind of be expanded out to other uh, a- another example is when you want to um uh hit someone with something that you want to throw at them and you miss and you know you missed because you didn't really want to hit them. You know you missed because you did. And, and it, it works the same way. Do you know that effect I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, it, yes. But I, you know, like, like you have a friend somewhere and you have an orange in your hand and you throw it at him like with his back to you and you really didn't want to hit him so it misses. Yeah, like yeah. you only, you only um, uh, wanted to hit him like uh, 49%. You, yeah. Or you, do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it works yeah. the same way. I, uh, Go on. Sorry. You're good. I was a, uh, I pitched in little league and I was terrible and I would throw not because I didn't want to hit them, but I was so bad that I would throw one pitch a game behind the batter trying to throw it to the catcher, but I'd like release it too early and it end up going way behind the batter and hit the fence. You know, <laughs> just look like an idiot. <laughs> uh, sorry. I have to stretch my legs for a minute. Stretch them. I'm losing my shit. Hey, are you, uh, are you not, are you at home? Or are you on vacation or something? No, I'm, uh, in, um, I'm in, uh, um, uh, Newport beach. It's about 300 miles South Sweet. of, um, I, I'm, I'm just tripping because here I, I this, I take this, like, this is my fucking craft. And I was just imagining someone like coming in a fucking trying to hug you while you were swinging the golf ball. I was about to lose my fucking shit. <laughs> Like, listen, motherfucker, like I'm on a fucking podcast. It's great. It's authentic. Yeah. I don't know about that. (laughs) I got to chill. I got to chill. I got a little fucking wound up. (laughs) Fuck. Deep breath. Deep breath. breath. Oh, what, what are you, do you you know what you are going to do? Uh, 
Switching professions is fucking hard. I, I lost my job a couple of years ago. I wanted to just like hide for, I just wanted to hide in a hole. Uh, specifically yet, but I have some, uh, I have some good ideas and uh, I, I want to, I would love for it to be in the fitness space in some capacity, just because that's turned into a passion of mine. And I think it's valuable for people and people need it. And um, so next steps are just, I've wanted to take my L1 for a while and um, in part, just because of you guys discussing it all the time and kind of your feedback on it. And there just happened to be one next week in Birmingham, which is two hours from me. So I'm going to go do my L1 and get my certificate next week and, uh, or this weekend actually. And um, I, I would love to potentially open an affiliate uh, in some capacity, but I, I have kind of a bigger vision for it than just, simply a CrossFit gym. I want to, I, I really believe based off my experience and just the research and the looking into it that I've done, that there's such a broad application of it to sports in general. I've seen the benefit of, of it for me in golf. And I think it even applies more so in like high intensity sports where there's contact involved and there's other factors. And so I think that the, basis and the methodology of CrossFit really extends out from that. And so um, there's three affiliates in this town. We, you know, we're not a huge population, probably a hundred thousand people. Um, and I don't want to, you know, come in and try to take market share from that or something, but I, I, I'm just trying to figure out how, what it could look like and how, you know, kind of a high performance training center could look um, for, for, for the 65 year old who needs to be in better health but also for a 15 year old athlete who wants to start the process of uh conditioning their body to be ready for uh you know tons of physical contingencies so um i don't know i'm just uh, exploring options and i kind of have a little bit of a runway which is which is good so i'm not in a rush but also trying to to wade through that as quickly as i can so what did what did you notice how did crossfit help your uh golf game just uh Mostly the, the mental side, honestly, just the, um, I think it's, it's important to one of the clearest applications of it in my mind is just controlled suffering in a environment where it's, uh, regulated and you can measure it and then you can, uh, be, be safe with it versus if you don't do anything, you're going to suffer one way or another, just not on your own volition. Um, and so that part of it. And then, uh, we walk like 70 to 90 miles a week, probably during a tournament. Um, uh, there's my first muscle up. Very, Oh, that's awesome. Very sketchy. Um, got much better. Since You're lucky you didn't hit your head on the ceiling. Well, I knew it's, I only have nine feet in my garage. So I just kind of did the like head duck muscle up. Yeah. 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 The, the level one staff probably wouldn't appreciate that if I do that. <laughs> It's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. good for your first one. Yeah. So I, uh, we, we walk so much and we play in so much heat during the summer that I used to always fluctuate weight like a ton. I mean, I'd be start the summer in the upper one sixties. And by the time we're done with the summer, I'm down at one sixty, and your energy wanes. And there's just like so much fluctuation. I couldn't ever find a training program that would allow me to put on weight and muscle and then sustain it. And for like the last two years, I've, I've done that. I've just been very consistent at the same weight, kept my training volume consistent. And so 
for me, like I said, I don't have, I wish I had more of a definitive, like I started doing CrossFit and here's the results I got. Right. I didn't get them as much from the performance of my score, but just my overall health and well-being personally. And then the way that my body felt, um, I think I did see that benefit. And so, um, yeah, it just allowed more consistency and every gym I walk into every week all over. I've, I've been to so many affiliates. It's been fun. Uh, gotten to know a lot of great people and owners around the country. And there was always the first, like, you're going to wait, you're doing this and you're going to go play golf. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you know, you just, if I, if there's something that I didn't need to be doing, I just talked to the coach of the day and just tell him like, Hey, I'm going to modify this or scale this. And, um, uh, everybody was good with it. So yeah, I think does, that, does, does everyone on the tour walk? Does anyone ride in those cars? No, it's you, you're required to walk. Um, okay. Walks. So it's not only the, it, I mean, not that seven, I'm not poo pooing 70 to 90 miles, but it's just the sheer number of hours you're on your feet fighting gravity yes. too. It's a That's shitload right. of time. And, and do you sit down and be, when you're not swinging, do you sit down? Occasionally. I mean, if there's a, if, if there's no weight on a whole, no, but if you're like waiting, on a group in front of you, you know, you might find a bench or something, but for the most part, you're just standing up the whole time. You're on your feet. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and, and just, sorry for so many dumb questions, but are all our holes supposed to be in the sun or in the shade or it just varies? There's no like, it just varies. yeah, I mean, there's, okay. There's golf courses where, um, there's no, uh, there's link style golf courses don't have, um, sorry. Uh, Link style courses don't have trees. They're more like sand dunes and the wind can affect it more. So there's no trees, there's no shade. And then more of like a parkland course would be more inland and like trees. And so you can find more shade, but it just varies. The, the, I mean, you're going to have an amazing time at your L1. The gym business is so, is so, is can be so hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the the gym business can be so hard. Um, are are there are there any successful um, like what is there a play like uh, you know there's this place in Florida like where tennis players go. Yeah, IMG. IMG. Yeah. yeah. Does golf have one of those? Like, hey, that like all, these people came out of there. No, there's kind of camps. Uh, it used to be IMG actually. They had a huge junior golf uh, component okay. at that academy. When I was they don't they don't anymore. I feel they probably do, but I feel like it's falling off but like when i was in high school like all the elite players were coming out of img and break okay okay um but it's still tennis huge uh it's spread out all over the country there's kind of hubs where golfers live because of either travel or weather or taxes um and so there are like collections of groups of that around um but i mean it any endeavor is hard uh, I think you, you do the best you can to gather data and talk to people who have done it and sort of investigate whether it's something you're willing to step into. And then if you can offer a competitive advantage and you can provide people with a service that adds value to whatever they're trying to accomplish, like, I mean, you know, so I'm, I'm just in the phase of asking questions, calling some of the affiliate owners that I've met throughout the country that I have a lot of respect for. And I think they do it well because I've, I've been, I've had the, a fortunate position of seeing like good ones, bad ones, good coaching, bad coaching, uh, access to the gym class time. Like I've just got a lot of data gathered with like what I think people are looking for when they step in there. And, um, so yeah, just investigating. 
you know how you're not supposed to ask like a woman if she's pregnant, like yeah. fuck up and she could just be just like fat. That's that's kind of the worst. But so any you're just going down from there if you're asking something else. Yeah. So so the other day I had this dude on a uh, Danny Beeler. Uh-huh. And and he he was a guy he had he was like he was a four hundred and fifty five pound dude who lost 150 pounds. So he okay. cruised, he, he rolls around. Oh, like, he was on. I didn't listen yet, but okay. So he rolls around like at 300 right now. Right. Yeah. He just lost 150, which is crazy. And he went into a gym and the coach asked him, God, what did he, and you know, he's been crossfitting for a year. I mean, he's a fucking legit crossfitter. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what the coach asked him, but the coach asked him something fucking inappropriate. Like, like, Hey, there's there, you got to be a little more tactful if you're running a fucking gym, the front desk. I forget what he said. Oh, Oh, he walked in there and he goes, um, um, he said, Hey, have you been crossfitting? And I think Danny said, yeah, I'm a crossfitter. And he goes, well, I think you need to start with our intro course. And he was just visiting from out of town and wanted to jump in. I mean, this is the dude, this dude did a, a, a one mile ruck with a 150 pound ruck on his back. Jeez. You know what I mean? This is a guy yeah. who's done Murph three times in his life. Yeah. I mean, if you've done Murph three times and in, 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 he's only crossfitting for a year, if you've done Murph three times in you're, a year, strike fucking, first. yeah, you're <laughs> fucking legit. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Do you, it, it's, it's so hard for me to accept that there's bad gyms out there. But, but I've been, but I've, I've probably been to 150 affiliates, probably maybe 350. I don't know, but I've been to some bad ones too. And and it's always shocking to me. And by bad, I mean, they just don't give enough attention. They lack social, uh, situational awareness. It's not like they're assholes, but they're just, they're just not doing their job. That's right. I mean, listen, CrossFit is, you need good coaching. You need eyes on you. You need to be properly shown what you're trying to achieve. And and a lot, when I say bad, it's mostly like, here's the workout. Good luck, everybody. Have a good day. And then the, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's not like they're smoking cigarettes in there next to you. It's not like, right. You just expect yeah. more. We yeah. expect so much from the, the people in this community, but I guess, I mean, you and I could just go outside right now and stand on a street corner and we'll see the dumbest motherfuckers ever. Like we'll see people crossing the street, looking at their phone. Yeah. It's like, do you, do you, yeah. or, or women pushing two babies in a stroll or crossing a busy street while texting. I'm like, dude, do, like, do you, do you, yeah. what the fuck are you Listen, doing? I, I want to, I, I definitely want to own my own business and be my boss simply because I think the, the, the floor of being a successful person in whatever endeavor you're going to, pursue to achieve is like making eye contact, remembering people's names, shaking hands firmly, uh, providing service that they're asking you to provide, like treating people with respect. I think if you, if you nail those little things, like the, the grueling, annoying, stupid stuff of like, you know, figuring out who you're going to hire to clean the floor or whatever, like that kind of stuff can be sorted through, but like, just be a person of integrity that uh, cares for people. I, I just want to be in some some work or industry where it's a people centric um, endeavor, and I just think that uh, offering people health and fitness is is a way to do that. So, um, Jason, I think Jason Ackerman has a podcast that's called "The Best Hour of Your Day." Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure that that was like originally a Greg Glassman line. Like people come into your gym. That yeah. should be the best hour of their day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's, it's, 
It's, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Shout out to uh, one of the guys in the comments here, Drake Lewis. He was my coach in Salt Lake, and uh, Drake's awesome. He's a he competed at the Atlas Games this year. He was uh, I was watching him do some lifts. He's a he's a strong dude, cool guy. Uh so he's not an ass coach. He was fan. He was one of the best ones I've had. He was very helpful. Right. I, I asked him to look at my snatch form, and it's, it was so bad. And uh, he gave me some good tips, and I've actually improved since then. So thanks, Drake. Uh, Blaine, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I know it's, it's a crazy time for you to come on. It's interesting. I mean, it sounds like any time would have been crazy because you, you live a pretty full life, but, um, it's an impressive, honor. impressive that you have the three kids impressive that you've done so much at only 32 years old. You got another one on the way already. Uh, I, I have a feeling if not already, your life's going to be similar to mine. You're going to view your relationship as your, with your wife as your crowning achievement. Uh, right. I, I view it as, as mine. Um, you're just a cool dude, man. Thanks for coming on. You too, man. I appreciate it. Seriously, thanks. Uh, I'll keep listening. I'm a fan. Awesome. All right. And uh, stay in touch. You got my number if you're ever in California or anytime you want to get the families together. If I'm ever in Alabama, I'll bug you, brother. Please do. Got a spot here. All right. Ciao. All right. Thanks. See ya. Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver, that sign that you have that's like to the over your shoulder. I know you guys can't see Caleb, but I can see him. Yeah, yeah, that thing. I thought at one point, I didn't notice that the whole show. And I thought at one point you were holding that up to cue me to say that. I'm like, why does he want me to say that? (laughs) I seriously thought that. Is that new, that sign on the wall? Yeah. Tis new. Live a great story. God. With your job, it should just say stay alive. <laughs> just, I, that's what I tell every, all the patients. Just stay alive, please. Uh, tomorrow, we have Brian Friend on. Uh, we're doing top 100 best male CrossFitters competing today. Maybe it's even top 125. Uh, I'm really stoked about it. Um, uh, J.R. Howell, his, um, uh, what, what, his event's called The Crucible. Uh, that event, I, unfortunately, I'm embarrassed to say that the 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 qualifier for that already happened, and it looks like that event is going to be getting off here soon. So hopefully, I can get Jr. and Taylor on here soon to talk about that event. The leaderboard just uh, should get finalized by Friday. I just submitted all my scores last night. Oh, what if what if you make it? It's unlikely, but I'll just but I just won't go. You won't go. And then uh, where is my phone? Oh, here's my phone. And let me check the calendar to see what else I could tell you is coming down the pipe. Um, so we have the top top 100 tomorrow. Uh, oh, on Wednesday we have a show with Jr. and Taylor. Top ten best um, top ten uh, games best games moment of 2022. Shit, we better get the links for that so we can start having the, prepping the videos. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. And then um, on the 25th, we have Steve Bart. He's an affiliate owner. I wish I could see which affiliate. I don't know. I'm always excited about those shows. And then Friday the 26th, uh, we'll probably do uh, the UFC show and a live call-in show and Saturday live call-in show and the 28th live call-in show, et cetera, et cetera. That sounds like it'll be a four-hour podcast. Man, I'm going to have to go. um, uh, I'll, I'll go through that top 100 fast. Uh, Sevon spilled the beans. Who won the lubed up beach wrestling match between Hiller and Hunter? You, we we all we we uh, swam freestyle across the pool. I lost, 
And then I think um, Hunter and Hiller both swam there and back. I want to say it was a 25-meter pool. And uh, I think Hunter barely won. Or no, maybe Hiller won. Maybe Hiller won. I can't remember. But they're, they're, I mean, Hunter's a special creature, but Hiller's extremely fit. It was a crazy day yesterday. We raged. We raged. And then we took a break, and then we went to the beach, and we raged again. And uh, uh, Hunter and Hiller probably spent, I, I shit you not, no exaggeration, probably three hours in totality just playing with my kids, throwing them in the water, playing Frisbee with them. It was crazy. And uh, nothing made, can make me more happy. All right, guys. I will talk to you guys soon. Peace and love.